was talking with some friends this week and um, told a sort of a silly story, uh, but it illustrates what has been a struggle of my heart for many, many years as a child of God. I was in college and uh, was at a church, as a youth leader at a church, um, a, a volunteer uh, lay youth leader at a church down in, uh, in Tennessee, or can, can, where was I? Tennessee. That's right, Mill Springs Baptist Church in Tennessee. And the Lord, Lord used my local church there to really grow me up, um, to really grow me up in the faith, to really help me mature. I know some of you may take issue with that. I didn't say I became mature, but maybe to help start me on the journey toward some semblance of Christian maturity and developing spiritual disciplines um, at, uh, at, a, at much more consistently and much more with a much more uh, greater understanding of the purpose behind them. Anyway, we, um, we had these fellowships every once in a while, you know, fellowship equals food, right? I mean, that's what we think. It actually equals quite much more than that. It's when we partner together, we work together and we pull the line the same way, uh, working towards God's kingdom. Um, but a lot of those conversations can be had around food, and so we always love that. And uh, at one of these times, I was carrying a, a plate of spaghetti lasagna and caught my toe on something, and, uh, and the whole thing spilled out in front of me onto the ground. Now, I'm telling you something. There are times that you can spill things like water, and, uh, you know, it's pretty it's not real noticeable. You know, it's clear unless somebody slides on it and breaks something. Nobody's really going to know and you can kind of wipe it up. I'm telling you, when you drop a whole nine by 13 pan of something that's red, I mean, everybody knows. And do you know what happened at that moment? I was humiliated and my, my humiliation directly turned toward anger at the Lord. Now, some of you are thinking, what? That doesn't make sense. Well, what you'll find is that a lot of our sinful responses to the circumstances in this life do not make sense, except to the person who's feeling it and thinking it and believing that those lies are true in that moment. Now, that's, that's a bit of a, a silly illustration, but as I've grown in um, or just have moved through life, I've had people who have treated me wrongly. I've had people who have treated me in, in right ways that I uh, took to mean something other than what God's purposes were for them in my life. And I have wrestled with an internal battle of anger that could lead, if allowed, toward persistent bitterness toward the Lord and others. And Paul teaches us that what happened when we, become, we became followers of Christ is that the old has gone and the new has come. That means it is gone with a persistent, enduring, ongoing effect. And the new has come with a persistent, enduring, enduring effect. And yet Paul says also, I take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of 
of for me. So the Spirit of God has, has done away with the old nature, and the, and the Spirit of God has brought the new nature in the new man, and yet in the middle here, we have this responsibility to, to put off or to take off. Think of changing your clothes, to, to put off the old man. You see, it has happened, and yet we are called still to walk in faith to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of for me. So we, we put off the new, I'm the old man, and we are renewed in the spirit of our minds, verses uh, 23 says, and then verse 24 says, and we are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so I have had many, many, many opportunities as a human being to see how the Lord has orchestrated the circumstances of life. We call this providence, the doctrine of of God orchestrating the circumstances of this world to carry out his great eternal plan, which was formed before the foundation of the world. But by no means does it make any human a puppet of anything. You and I have real choices this morning. We, we got up and we made real decisions about what we're to wear, which doesn't seem very consequential. But you and I make real choices about how to respond to the circumstances in this world. And so the Apostle Paul is telling us all throughout this, we are to be, to be speaking truth because we've put away falsehood. Why? Well, because we're members of one another. That matters. We don't just happen to show up here once a week on Sundays and, uh, and just think, uh, oh, we're the church because we happen to be in the same room. No, God has made us, we're seeing, members of one another. Uh, he, so he's telling us we, uh, we are to be angry and do not sin or to pursue righteous anger, not to let the sun go down on your anger. So we have choices and real responsibilities to seek to resolve anger very quickly, not to allow a long list of what could turn into bitterness continue. He goes on to say that we're, the thief is no longer to steal, but rather let him labor. Why? Doing honest work with his whole, own hands so that he may give to someone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace or undeserved kindness toward those who hear. Why? Well, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. And this morning we see that he calls us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind, tender-hearted. Uh, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, we're to put off every sort of or every kind of and every form of. I said the word or there. Uh, the, 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 there's the word all in the text, but the way that word all is worded, it means it applies to every attribute or trait that he lists. So you might say put off all bitterness, put off all wrath and all anger and all clamor and all slander. Let it all be put away with you along with, in case that's not enough, along with all malice. We're to put, put off all sorts of, every kind of, every form of malicious behavior. And we're to put on the sweet fruit of kindness 
expressed through tender mercy and forgiveness. Why? Why are we to put these things off from the moment we are children, from the moment we, we, we don't want to play with the toy, and yet somebody else comes into the room and grabs that toy and wants to play with it? Like we weren't even holding it. We were like, nah, I'm good. I, I got these toys over here. I'm good. As soon as somebody else thinks that toy has value, oh man, it is the highest thing in my affections. I want that toy. That's my toy. Never mind the fact that it might not even be my toy. But all of a sudden, in my view of life, that's mine. And you are now my sworn enemy until someone pulls us apart. How does that simple principle translate into the rest of life. Those are my rights. Those are my emotions. Those, this is my plan for life. This is my promotion that I deserve. This is my church and things are to be done my way. This is mine and I'm the one who determines whether how it's handled is right or wrong. Problem is we all get together and that doesn't float for very long. That doesn't carry us very far. It's quite selfish. Now, less selfish are the circumstances in life where we are legitimately wronged according to how a just God, which means he's the one who has the actual correct answer of what's right and what's wrong, what's righteous and what's sinful. And yet in this world... All of us at some point are wronged according to how God would judge it by others. And yet, the same challenge applies. That even when we are legitimately wronged, even when we are legitimately sinned against, we are to put off all kinds of malicious behavior and to put on kindness. Well, why? Because if you have put off the old self and you have put on the new self, it means that you are a follower of Christ, a child of God. And our express goal, our single goal for this life is to see God's name exalted above all powers. But our part of it is above all of those who see the way that we live in this world. It's easy to treat someone who treats you kindly with kindness. We call them friends. But even friends will let you down. Even friends will betray you. And so we, are, we see here that we need to beware of the poisonous fruit of bitterness. Friends, bitterness, bitter, bitterness will wear you out inside. It will eat you alive, you might say. And mark it down. It will show itself through your disposition, your demeanor, your words, your body language, and your entire perspective on life, others, 
and the Lord. This is why this passage is really about bitterness, but notice bitterness is the issue. Wrath and anger and clamor, wrath and anger are the disposition of what happens to one who lives in a life of bitterness. And then clamor and slander and malice are are the outworking fruit of what this poisonous bitterness accomplishes in our lives. So we need to beware of this poisonous fruit of bitterness. Now, if you find yourself already uh, talking your way out of having to pay attention, that should be a cue that you really need to lean in. But in all fairness, we all need to lean in on this. Because if you haven't wrestled with bitterness yet, I promise you will. At one point or another. Hebrews 12, 15 through 17 Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no, no root of bitterness, that's probably in quotes in your Bible, no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, whoa, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he despaired or desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I mean, Esau becomes the poster child for a life of bitterness. Esau was sinned against greatly, and yet Esau participated in the very thing that brought him the consequences that he experienced in his life. And once he made that decision, he realized that he could not take it back. He could not change that decision. He he couldn't turn back from it. And what began in his life was a, a root of bitterness. Nasty, poor tasting. When you eat something bitter... I mean, thankfully, the Lord put a green skin on bitter apples. I'm just telling you. Because if they were all the same color, right? It was just sort of like, ha, I mean, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> can be a sport, right? What kind of apple are you going to get today? How can, you, how can you disguise it? Okay, I should get back to here. So, uh, but think about this for a minute. These are haunting words. These are haunting words. You know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, though, for he found no chance to repent. This word comes out of Deuteronomy 28, 18 through 21. It says, Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed you shall be when you go out. The Lord will send curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and you perish quickly on account of the evil deeds, uh, of your evil deeds, because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you were entering to take possession of. Esau complained that his life and the Lord hadn't been fair to him. 
Initially, it begins with the Lord not being fair to him, but he he did have a a frustrating set of circumstances in life, right? Let's just do a quick survey of this, right? From the womb, he and his brother Jacob come out uh, vying for position. Jacob was the firstborn of his twin Esau, but only barely because they're grabbing onto each other's heel, or Esau's grabbing onto Jacob's heel. I have this backwards. Esau was the firstborn. Thank you. Bible-loving people. Esau came out first. But Jacob, Jacob was grabbing onto his heel. I don't know how many of you delivered like that. Jacob's mom favored him. I mean, he was a mama's boy, if there ever was one. And Esau's father favored him. Now, you just think about this burden that any child should need to bear about dealing with parents who favor one child while the other parent favors the other. That is a burden no child should ever bear. And they bore it in some of the the most... I wish we had time to go into all of the circumstances, but we don't. But if you read Genesis 25 through... uh, 27, you'll see it in great detail and even continue on to to the middle of 30. But uh, listen to this section in, in Genesis 25, 28 through 34. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah, their mom, loved Jacob. Once Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted now. Here's kind of where the beginning of it all starts, except for the whole, you know, grabbing his heel in the womb thing. Uh, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. So Esau says to Jacob, hell, let me eat of some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. And therefore, his name was called Edom. You might have remembered when we were looking at the book of Malachi last year, we talked about the Edomites. This goes all the way back to right here in Genesis with Esau. And Jacob said, now here's an opportunity. Jacob's brother comes in from the field. He probably eats quite a bit of his good stew and loves it. He comes in from the field and Jacob, jealous from before birth and he sees an opportunity Rather than serving his brother in love, he says, I've got him. So Esau's famished and he says, I'm sorry, yeah, he comes in for food and Jacob says, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die of what use is a birthright to me, right? I mean, I'm going to die soon if I don't eat. A little dramatic, but probably really hungry. Right? Sometimes our kids come in. What am I saying? Sometimes I'm like, I think I'm going to die if I don't eat in the next five minutes. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright. Well, Esau's like, hey, I mean, if I die, what use is a birthright? So he makes the deal. Now, I want you to pick up on the fact that Esau participated, even though he was wrong. He made a willful decision here to sell his birthright. Jacob said, swear to me now. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went on his way. And therefore, thus Esau despised his birthright. Proverbs tells us something about the loneliness 
of bitterness. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. So, so the rest of the book of Genesis is devoted to uh, the life of, of Esau's nep- nephew, Joseph. Right? They, they both, both faced bitter, terrible circumstances, but their, their responses could not have been more different. It's also worth noting that they both had a, 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 a part in others' responses to them, where Esau said, I'm about to die, sell me, uh, let me have some of your stew. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. And then after that, after they made the deal, Esau despised his birthright, and by extension, his brother. Joseph, Joseph, when, when told by the Lord that God was going to do something significant in his life through a dream, ran out and in his immaturity bragged about it to everybody. Ah, you're going to bow down to me and you're going to bow down to me. I'm going to be a great star. His dad comes out and says, hey, what's going on, guys? Oh, you're going to bow down to me too. Whew. So then his brothers concoct a plan. His brothers concoct a plan. So here's a challenge for you. If you feel, feel yourself wrestling with bitterness, we must, as we sang this morning, we must focus on the glorious reality of our God and our Savior. Savior. We need to savor, we need to, to meditate on and preach to ourselves that God's sovereign providence is good even when hard. Why? Because God is good and God is loving. And as Joseph learned through personal life experience, all of God's plans and all of God's purposes are wonderful. But we often don't get to know, and we're not guaranteed that we would know ever on this earth what God is working and how it will extend throughout centuries. That's not our right. Our privilege is to consider how God gave His Son, Christ, for a ruined sinner like me. That's right. The the, the Son who was treated terribly, who was sinned against and yet never thought one sinful word, and on top of that, He did everything right everything righteously. Bitterness, however, begins when we believe that we've been treated unfairly. If we believe that God will accomplish His justice, if we are, uh, if we are simultaneously confident, even if we pray a prayer, like, like the psalmist who said, unite my heart to fear your name. Meaning, Lord, I believe, and like with the the centurion, we might say, I believe, yet help my unbelief. Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. I love you and I fear you, but I know that my heart is fractured. I know that my heart wants to run this way and love this earthly idol. I know that I want to love this earthly idol over here, but ultimately, ultimately, because of you, what you, who you are, because what you've done for me in Christ, I really want to love you. That's a desire that you've given me, and I know that, that on the promise of belief, you will increasingly unite my heart to fear your name but it won't ever be accomplished until we're in glory. And so that's the daily cry of the one who's desperate to glorify the Lord. 
That's why Proverbs 4.23 tells us that we need to keep our heart with all vigilance, for from it your heart, your, your inner man, your soul, the eternal person in you flows the springs of life. Flows the springs of life. So we need to be beware of this bitter, poisonous fruit, the bitter fruit, poisonous fruit of bitterness. Secondly, we need to become quick to lament before the Lord. Now, I use that word become, or maybe I should say we need to be becoming. Probably a better way to say it. I started with be. We need to become or we need to be becoming. Quick to lament before the Lord. This means this happens by developing the spiritual habits and the godly discipline of crying out to the Lord in prayer. And we were able to look at this uh, about a year and a half ago, and I'm going to quickly summarize how Mark, uh, author and pastor, Mark uh, Vergat from Indiana, um, uh, outlines this for the sake of time. He gives four passages through which he outlines what this looks like. In lament, we turn to God in prayer. You know, turning to the Lord in prayer, whatever comes out of your mouth next, or, or, or maybe, is usually a sign of faith. We go to the sovereign one and we say, Lord, I need you. Psalm 77, one through four, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. He doesn't say once everything's resolved and I know it's all good, then I praise the Lord. He says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Christian brother or sister, we too often desire to go to the Lord with beautifully penned prayers that have everything in life all sorted out, and we end it with, and God, I just want to praise you because I've got great faith. The psalmist says, I have faith because I'm going to the Lord. Beyond that, I'm begging God not to depart from me. I am begging God to listen. I need him because he holds my eyelids open. I need him. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And you may just fall on your face in your living room, on your bed, pull over the car, and just weep. Weep. God, I don't even know how to pray right now. It's so painful. I don't know what to do except go to you. We bring our complaints to the Lord after we cry out to the Lord. Psalm 10, 1 and 2, why do you cry? I'm sorry, why, O Lord, 
do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. So we understand that something in life is not right according to the Lord's perspective. Now I want to tell you, we also go to the Lord at times uh, not fully understanding what's happening and thinking that our cause is just. Either way, go to the Lord and lay out your complaints. Whatever it is, you may even pray, I, I, I reference this prayer a lot, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, see if there be any wicked way in me. I'm pretty sure there is. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, this unrighteousness cannot stand. How do you watch as this happens? How do we watch as innocent people around the world are being murdered as we speak and we sit in these comfortable chairs worshiping God? I don't know how to reconcile this, Lord, in my mind. It's wrong. Why do you seem to not be doing anything about it? We lay out our complaint before the Lord. And then we ask boldly. This is the psalm that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, on the cross but I'm not quoting this, that section of it, actually. Uh, later in Psalm 22, he says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the soul, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the, thor- the horns of the wild oxen. So we go to the Lord, we lay out our, 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 we, we lay out our complaints, and we ask boldly, God, save this marriage for your glory. Not so we're happy. Save the marriage. God, my neighbor is headed to the pit of hell if they don't call out to you for salvation. God, would you save them? How are our hearts burdened for those around us to experience the life-giving eternal water of Jesus Christ through salvation? God, save my coworker. God, my heart has become bitter and I'm beginning to see it. Deliver me. Help me to see it rightly so that I, that I can make a, a change, so that I can pivot because you have purchased that for me on Calvary. You have given me everything that I need for life and godliness. We don't mean that it's simple. We don't mean that it's easy. In fact, it's not. It's very difficult. That's why... That's why it requires godliness. It's divine, divinely empowered forgiveness. Divinely empowered healing of a bitter heart that, 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 that can, that may just one day begin to soften toward the people around you, toward the very ones who've harmed you. See, that's when the world around us will begin to take note. When real, deep wounds in life no longer control our perspective of God and our perspective of others and how we behave toward others. The fourth thing we do in lamenting is we choose to trust. That's called faith. 
we choose to trust. Psalm 13, 5 and 6, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We cannot remain obsessed with the unfairness of this life. Derek Kidner says, an obsession with enemies and rivals cannot be simply switched off, but it can be ousted by a new focus of attention. One Puritan calls it the expulsive, that means to put out, the expulsive power of a new affection. But the more we try to just focus on putting it off and putting it off and don't touch that and don't say that and don't go there and don't have this conversation and and avoid this person, we're trying to put it off, put it off, put it off without being renewed by the transforming of our mind. Sometimes I believe out of fear because honestly, I want to be angry. I want to be bitter. I want to hate people. Oh, I'm not hating them. I mean, is that the tape you play? Because the Bible calls it hatred. And Jesus calls it murder. Murder in your heart. Brother, sister, child, young adult, senior, do you want to continue to live alone and bitter and angry? Do you want to continue to shoot arrows out toward other people all the while knowing that your self-justification is not anywhere close to the mark and it's not anywhere close to the joy that God wants you to experience through which he gave you the power to experience it by sending his own son to receive the due penalty for your anger and my anger. So we we need to lament To to, to grieve is human, Mark Vergop says, but to lament is Christian. We need to listen to the biblical counsel of others. One of our greatest passions, one of my greatest passions as a pastor is to be able to take this word and in the community of faith, help every person who names the name of Jesus be able to open up this word and turn to pages of scripture, even in the Old Testament. I might even say, especially in the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of narrative that speaks volumes into the lives, uh, into the, the, the pain that we experience in this world. To be able to open up this word and come alongside people who think, I'm just supposed to go to church on Sunday. How come I don't feel better next Sunday? And say, well, let's see how God's people of old handled this. Let's really look at their life. Proverbs warns us, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. No, I don't need to meet with people. I don't need to come to church on Sunday. I don't need to really sit down and talk it through. Translation. I don't want other people to speak into my life. I got this. I can handle this. Well, not according to Proverbs. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. By the way, friends, you can isolate yourself while you're still in the presence of many. You know how you do that? You talk about everybody else. And you put up walls and barriers, fortresses that you'll allow no one through. 
over time, your countenance will give, give way. You'll look tired, you'll feel tired, you'll be lonely, angry, and bitter, and you'll wonder how you got there. But there is a way out. It's through lamenting, going quickly to the Lord, and listening to the wise counsel of other believers. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So that's the warning. The blessing is, as we surround ourselves with godly friends who care enough not to just rattle off a scripture passage at you, but like, go home and figure this out, but to really do life with you, to really talk with you, to really understand what's going on in your heart, not because they have the, the, the answer queued up and ready to go, because at this point in the conversation, there's really no, uh, oh, I've got the answer right here. Everybody's story is different. Everybody's circumstance is different. Let's, let's understand your perspective of things, and then let's over time, in weeks, maybe months, maybe years, go to the Lord and seek Him in this. The purpose of a man's heart, Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, is like deep water, but a man or a woman of understanding will draw it out. Charles Spurgeon said, inward grief was made to work and ferment by want of vent. Just, just give me a minute here. I just need to vent. That you should, if you're, if you're someone listening, you ought to step back and you ought to grab a shield and you ought to place it up. Somebody just wants to vent. Do you know what that's code for? I need to say whatever I feel like saying without any repercussions, without any discipleship, without any correction, just let me vent. I just need to spew Utterance is the natural outlet for the heart's anguish, and silence, therefore, is both aggravation of the evil and a barrier against its cure. Silence is an awful, awful thing for the sufferer. Mourner, tell your sorrow. Do it first and most fully to God. Lament. Go to the Lord. Don't bottle it up. Don't, don't keep it in. Don't walk that journey alone. Tell your sorrow first and most fully to the Lord, but even pour it out before some wise and godly friend is far from being wasted breath. To lament before the Lord and, and, and then even with the help of godly friends who will help take you deeply into His Word as they patiently walk alongside you in life is a blessing that comes only from the heavens. To have someone who can come and, and share God's perspective with you, not of their own design, not of their own storehouse of wisdom, but by opening this book and by looking deeply into the, into the, into the riches of God's wisdom. Who wouldn't want that friend? Who wouldn't want to be that friend? For many, bitterness feels like home. You're comfortable in your bitter life. You're, you're comfortable in a defensive posture, which very quickly becomes offensive. You're comfortable. You think you're happy, but you're not. You're miserable. And the Bible says that he doesn't want us to be miserable. He wants us to, Jesus said, I have come to give life. I have come to give life to its fullest. 
Come to me, everyone who's weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary from bitterness? Are you weary from anger? Are you weary from hatred that you put pretty words around? Come to the Lord and befriend the sweetness of a tender heart of trust in the Lord. From the poisonous internal, which becomes external impact of bitterness, to befriending the sweetness of a tender trust. A trust in the Lord that can honestly admit before the Lord, God, I'm coming to you in faith, but I hate this situation. I feel used. I feel worn out. I feel, I feel betrayed by almost everybody around me. Deliver me from my self-pity. Deliver me with a, a, a wrong under, from a wrong understanding of the circumstances around me. Deliver me by seeing you as the beautiful, sovereign, loving, all-good creator of the world and Savior of my soul. About 4,000 years ago, Joseph's older brothers, brothers hated him. They plotted to kill him. And his older brother, thinking he was, had this great idea, said, oh, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him off into slavery. Boy Scout badge that day. Let's just sell him off in his slavery. Let's bury him in this hole. Joseph had an honorable reputation. He, he, he honored the Lord in his slavery. He, he, he grew up in the ranks of, of Pharaoh's house. And finally he was released. He was put in charge of the Egyptian food reserve. I mean, this is Genesis 37 through 50 in about a minute. His brothers who betrayed him, who sought to kill him, they had no idea that one day, many years later, they would sit before him and his word would control their fate. A bitter and angry man kills them all. Just a word, they'd have been gone. But in wisdom, in humility, in a spirit of forgiveness and tender Mercy? He seeks out of wisdom to see if they're genuinely repentant. Or if they're just looking to get through this potential bad situation. Through many circumstances, he sends them on multiple trips. Puts food that they didn't steal in their bag to make them think that they stole it. Or, I, I didn't put this in my bag. He sends his troops after him and he really tests them. And he sees the genuineness of their grief for what they had done to him. And then with his family in front of him, he sends everybody else out of the room. And he weeps before them. Then he sends everybody out of the room. He weeps before them. His pain didn't vanish. The circumstances weren't miraculously changed. The sovereign, providential, good, kind, and loving God has said, I sent you to Egypt. The circumstances, yeah, less than ideal. But I sent you here for my purposes. Joseph refused to give in to bitterness. 
And he says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And so they came near and he says, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into slavery, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves. You see that? He just removes the burden of guilt from them. Don't, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God put me here to preserve your life. For the famine has been in these land two years, and there are yet five years left in this famine in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and the ruler over all of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus, uh, your son Joseph, God has made him Lord, made me Lord of all Egypt and come down to me. Don't tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And then he continues to say how he is going to provide, how God is going to provide for his people through him. Chris Bonds, on the topic of forgiveness, says, really to give a definition of it, if there was ever, oh no, I, I'm grabbing the wrong quote here. If, if there was ever any question about the sincerity of Joseph's forgiveness, it, to ha- it had to have been cleared up 17 years later when, when Jacob died. Listen to this passage, and we'll close in a moment. When Joseph's brothers saw that his father was dead, that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. And so they sent a message back to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of, of, of God, of God your father. And Joseph wept. And his brothers also came and they fell down before him and they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Do you see the persistence? He didn't just say, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. I mean, I feel like that might have been good enough. I'm still working through it. No, don't fear. I'll provide for you and your children. And thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Look at this definition with me. Forgiveness is a commitment by the offended. Can we put this definition up on the screen? It's a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously. No, we can't. I just got the word. That's okay. It's a a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. We need to beware of the poisonous fruit of bitterness. We need to be becoming quick to lament before the Lord. And we need to befriend the sweetness of a tender heart of trust in the Lord so that we can be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When he said as he hung on that cross in pain and misery, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Heavenly Father, we all stand in desperate need of your forgiveness 
Many in this room have trusted you for salvation. Some in this room may not have. All of us, all of us deal with the temptation toward anger and bitterness. And Father, we ask you for help. And you've provided what we need. We ask you that you would help us as a body learn to, uh, to, to, to move closer to one another, that we might help one another understand the, the difficulties, the, the difficult circumstances of this life. It's your desire for your children to be walking in joy and peace so that we can readily and freely be conduits of your kind, tender mercy and grace toward others. May it be so. Would you help us even as we take communion now, Lord, to do business with you even this morning? From, from children who know that they've offended their brother or sisters or their parents to the grandparent in this room that may have walked for many years with bitterness or a parent in this room who have walked for many years with bitterness or the individual in this room that just begins to see the fruit. of bitterness that is taking hold. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.